This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, and welcome to Journey of Unity number six. So we are holding at Pasuk Vav in Aisha's Chayel. Tonight's share should be Lila Nishmas, Chayim Ben Yaakov Shmuel, Zatzal, and Zachary Shimon Ben Ben Yitzchak, Zatzal, Ben Shemeshev and Aliyah. So Jumping right into this, the, the concept of Vatakam, the Oid Laila, I keep saying every week, every two weeks when we do this year, that I am saying Psukim that I've literally been saying my whole life, and I had no idea what I was saying all this time. So as we're going through this, maybe you guys studied, like you looked inside, like you know what you actually say. I didn't. I literally, I'm reading words, and I'm like, what does this mean? I'm like, I have to look it up. And then when I see not only what the English means, but what it actually means, means it takes on such a different definition. So tonight we're going to talk about dysfunctional families, Okay. That's tonight's topic. So, Vatakam Biyad Laila. What does the Pasuk say? Vatakam Biyad Laila. Let's just sing the song. Vatakam Biyad Laila. That the Eishas Chayel gets up while it is still night. Right? Vatakam. She gets up. Biyad Laila while it's still night. Vatitain Taref Levesa. And she gives out portions to her family. Levesa for her family. Vichayk Lenare Saha. And she gives out Chayk, which is a different type of apportionment to her maidens. What does that mean? So, basic, let's just translate English, okay? Speaking English is a good thing sometimes. So, she gets up early, right? While it's still night, she gets up. So, you might say before the sun comes up, the Aisha style is already up. And what does she do with her time? So she spends her time that she's preparing that when her family wakes up, after she wakes up, so she's up first, so when her family wakes up, that that she already has prepared for her family, Everyone has their little doggy bags with like their lunch and their snacks and their whatever. Her husband's going to Kyle and he goes and he has his drink box and his whatever he needs, a sandwich. Everybody has what they need for the day. That's the idea. Yeah. The chaik, and she also has a portion on the side, like other apportionments, Lenaraisaha, for these maidens. Who are these maidens? So we find this by Esther Hamaka that she had a, they they gave her Naraisaha. They gave her girls or women to be able to assist her in whatever she's doing. So the idea is, is that the woman who's running the house, every woman, every Aisha's Chayel, might have a cleaning help. She might have a nurse. She might have a babysitter. So not only is she preparing what her family needs, she's also preparing for those who are going to be helping her throughout the day. Those are the three parts of the Pesach. Of the pasach. She gets up early, right? And she prepares whatever her family needs. And not only that, the she even prepares for those that are helping her out. Now let's break this down into three segments and then finish it off with a fourth. Okay. So four, four ideas tonight, four quarters to this, to this game. Okay. The first idea is that the Aisha's Chayel gets up early. What does that mean early? It means she gets up with enough time to make sure that her family is not one of these chaotic morning families. Where's my pants? Where's my socks? Where's my shoes? Where's my lunch? I didn't do homework last night. I didn't sign this. She makes sure she's a proactive wife and mother so that as her family gets up, the day just sort of progresses along. And this doesn't just apply to the morning, I would argue. This applies to everything in her life. So her family comes home and they're not like, I'm starving. Could you make food? Her husband's not fetching. You know, where's supper? I'm always asking for this. Where's my car keys? She's proactive enough that the thing, it's an interesting lushan over here, that is the base of the house, which is her domain, is under control. And I would say that the masculine version of this is that the things that are under a husband's control 
are things that are, he is controlling. Finances, maybe, again, without getting too uh, gender specific, on whatever a person has taken a front and center role on, that it gets done. How often do you hear a wife say to her husband, you know, how many times did I ask you to clean out the attic? Or I asked you to get the car clean for Pesach. Or I, how many times do I have to ask you to, to change the light bulb in the garage? I can't see anything there. All those things which a person takes on sort of their role that they are going to be responsible for, they are proactive in it. They're doing it to the point where it doesn't get frustrating. It doesn't get upsetting. We know that every Friday night, women light candles. Why do we light candles Friday night? So there's Zachar V'Shamar, different things. But one of the reasons it's brought down in Halacha is because of Shalom Bayez, right? Where's the Shalom Bayez? Because if your house is very dark, somebody's going to smash their foot into a table or start cutting with a knife and the knife is not sharp. They're going to get very frustrated. Like, I can't see which angle is up, or which angle is down, right? The food is burnt. It's not. It's raw. I can't see what's going on in the house. So Shalom Bayez means you're proactive in every stage in your life to make sure that your family is functional. It runs the way that it needs to run. Okay, that's the idea. And I, I would almost say that there's sort of three levels over here. I recently heard a beautiful small anecdote, which is that when Kal Yisrael gave to the Mishkan, which was the house of Hashem, they gave Zav, the Chesef, Unachayshas. They gave gold, silver, and copper, right? And Chazal say that each one of these wasn't just a physical material that they gave gold, silver, or copper, but it was a method of giving, meaning there were some people that proactively gave. They came to Simcharava, take my money, take my jewelry, take my gold, take my silver, take my couch, whatever they could donate to the Mishkan, they gave wholeheartedly. And then there were people that their wife maybe fought with them and said, no, make the donation. No, I'm not going to make the donation. You know, it was like a whole to do if they were giving anything. And at the end, they said, fine. Okay, fine. I'll give a $10,000 check. Like they gave it, but it was like very reluctantly. And then there's Nechayshas, which are people that gave with a mida of Nechayshas. It was copper. They were resentful. They were angry. You know, they're okay, after I die, I'll leave it in the will. Like they really didn't want to give. And those people, even if they gave gold or even if they made a million dollar donation, but because they had to really be forced into it, it, it was considered Nechayshas. It was considered like it wasn't worth a lot. In the eyes of Hashem, it wasn't worth a lot. So Zav, Chesef, Nechayshas. And the first concept is that a woman... And a man, every person, makes sure that their home is functional. Functional home. If it's not functional, then there's chaos. There's no shalom bias. Everyone's yelling. Everyone's screaming. You're not home at a normal time. You, you, the food is not ready at a time. We don't have money. It's not clean. It's not, it's not functional. It's not, it's not working the way it needs to work. That is the first idea. And you're proactive. You're making sure that you're up before the rest of your family. You make sure that the food is ready when people come home. You make sure you do the things that are in your sphere of influence, those things, those things are done. Recently, my wife, um, obviously, I think it's a no-brainer. You, know, you could argue with me, but I think that you're missing, like somebody who argues on this is just missing basic. I think that dating doesn't end when you get engaged, right? You, you keep dating your spouse your entire life, hopefully, and your children as well. Like your children, you should be dating your children, Right. Don't ask them what seminaries are going to, but you know, but you, hopefully you know that, but you, you should be dating your children in the sense you spend time with each one of your kids on a real consistent basis. Right. Cause what children need from their parents more than anything besides structure, I would argue is attention. Right. Children love to be seen. They love to be perceived. They love to be heard. Right. That's, that's what they love. If, if in fact, if you look in the names of the Shvatim, it says, Reuven, see your son. Shimon is hear your child. Like you go through the names of the Shvatim, it's, it's, it's like, appreciate your child. Yehuda is Yehuda, like, like I'm going to be appreciative for the things that I have in my life. Literally, the names of the Shvatim are telling you the ch- a child's essence, what a child needs from their parents. 
So as parents, my wife and I always have dates with our kids. It doesn't have to be a six-hour date. You don't have to sit in front of your house till three o'clock in the morning like you did when you were dating your, your, your spouse. But the basics of dating your child, of taking them out for ice cream, going for a walk, whatever it is, is something which for us is always really crucial. So my wife, my wife recently um, told my kids, she said that, you know, in the morning, sometimes it's very hard to get kids up in the morning, right? So my wife turned to my kids. She sat them down. She said, listen, I'm starting whoever wants a date with mommy in the morning, 730. I'm going for a half hour walk. Like whoever wants it, like can get it. Literally that night, there was a race who could go to sleep earlier so that they could get up earlier. Their clothes were prepared earlier because the one thing that a child wants they were like, I'm getting it for free. Like, I don't have to ask for it. Like, oh, it's a, it's a no brainer. And it started like this cycle of the kids, like, oh my gosh, like it's already getting late. I'm not going to be able to get up early enough to go for the walk with mommy. And it, it, it started this like chain reaction. I think that the key to that success of that little, little, you could call it little. I think it's big, but the little change is that when you, when you get up early, you prioritize the things that are important to your family. Then you don't have to ask yourself at three o'clock in the morning. The next night, oh, did I, did I see my kids today? Was I a nice mother today? Like, was I, did I, did I, was I nice? Was I smiling? You know, if you, if you get those things, the important things out of the way in the morning, then the rest of your day is just built on success. Men have this a lot of times. They get up early in the morning. They go to a morning call. Like they're learning. They're davening. It's, it's out of the way already. So then everything else is just built on success. Okay. So that's the first idea that, prioritize the things that are important to you. Get up early. Make sure that you have your family has the things that they need from you. Now, what does this wife do or this husband? Okay, because we said in the beginning of the series, we're going to be very gender neutral. We're going to talk about everybody's roles. So what does this person do? What does a successful husband or a successful wife do? They give out, they dole out for their family apportionments. So the simple explanation of this, obviously, is that they give food for their family, right? Taref is usually referred to as food. So she's giving over food to her family. The Chazal say that there's a little bit deeper meaning here. It's not just that she's giving over food. It's that a parent makes sure that everybody in the family, the purpose of their day is being fulfilled. Because we all know that food is no purpose. There's no tachlis of food. Food, it helps you get energy. Like nobody says, I got a car to go to the gas station. You, you got a car to go places, to whatever, drive around, be a salesman, a sale, whatever you want to do, but you don't get a car to go to the gas station. Happens to be a car needs to go to, to the gas station, which means that your food that you're feeding your husband who's working or in Kyle or anything really that you're giving your family, you're really giving them for their ultimate purpose, which is to get to their ultimate destination in life. So this woman, she sees that. And when she's sitting there in the morning and she's making whatever she's making, whatever sandwiches she's making, in her brain, she's sitting there thinking, just like I have to be looking out that my children have their tuna fish sandwich or whatever it is, I also have to make sure that my kid is learning well in school and he has the tutors that he needs and my husband has whatever he needs in his life. Your entire family structure, you're not just looking out for the things that are just you're chopping up onions. But you're also looking for the next step, which is do they actually have what they need to be successful in in their life? And then the idea behind giving to each person in the family, and this would be sort of the third thing. So you give food, you make sure that their purpose is being achieved. The third thing is that you make sure that each family gets what they specifically like. Every person 
if you know your child, if you know your children, you see that every child has a different taste. This could like tuna fish sandwich, and this could like cream cheese, and this one is lactose intolerant. This one can't have gluten, and this one, you know, wants a double portion. Like everyone sort of gets from you what they need from you specifically. So a good mother or a good father is not forcing the person to receive what's being given. They're given what the person would want to receive. And this is a madrega here, which I think a lot of people struggle with. This is what mommy made for supper. This is what's on the menu tonight. Or this is what I was able to do. No. A, a, a wise person looks at the recipient and says, I'm going to give the recipient what the recipient needs from me. That is actual giving. If you're giving what you want to give, okay? I got somebody gave somebody an email that they didn't like that I said, like, that's 1%. They didn't like that. They, they thought it was too harsh. So I won't say it's 1%. It's nice. It's, it's very nice. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very nice madrega to give your family what you want to give. But when your kids come home and they're looking at the food and they're like, eh, <laughs> I, I can't eat this. This hurts me, right? Physically, I can't eat it. Or I don't enjoy this or I want doubles or I, I wanted something else. I'm not saying you should raise spoiled children that are able to just, you know, run the house. But as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, giving your spouse, and giving to your children, giving to your family means giving them what they need from you, not necessarily what you only want to give to them. There was a story that I was involved with. My wife reminded me, and I have to change some of the details just to protect the innocent. But the story basically goes that there was a yeshiva, and they had a rosh yeshiva, very hush of rosh yeshiva. And by lunch, every day, the, the Rosh Hashiva finished whatever Sadarim he had. And then, Bein Azdarim, he would sit down and he had different Harusas and things that he was learning. And the Bacharim and the Yeshiva, they would go and they would play basketball, right? So this went on, you know, years. Rosh Hashiva told Hash Rosh Hashiva, like, he had his Sadarim in the morning, in the afternoon, at night. And Bein Azdarim, he would sit and he would learn. One day, the Bacharim come in and it's time for them to play basketball. And they see the Rosh Hashiva comes in, takes off his frock, he lays it down on a bench. And he's putting on sneakers on the side. And he comes over to the Bacham. He's like, is there anybody here that has a few minutes that you could spend with me on the other court? I don't want to like ruin your game, but is there somebody that could come to the other side and spend some time with me? So they were like, okay. So one of the way they turn, okay, you're not playing this game. Okay. You go, you go help the Rosh Hashiva. So the Rosh Hashiva said, could you teach me the game? Like, tell me, how does this work? How, how do you play? What are the rules? How do you shoot? How do you dribble? And he spent like a few weeks coming every day, learning the malacha, like what he needs to know. At the end of the thing, one of the Bacham said, like, Rosh Hashiva, you're very funny because we never expected you to be into basketball. Everybody never saw you playing basketball. All of a sudden, you just showed up, you started playing basketball. And it turned out, the Rosh Hashiva told them, that he had a son, 15-year-old son, that he felt was, he was not connecting to on the level that he could have or should have been connecting to. It just wasn't. And he kept saying to this, to the, to his son, his 15 year old son, what are you learning? What sugar are you into? What safer could I buy you? Come, let's go to this farm store. And it clicked in his brain once after having a conversation with somebody that that's not his son. His son, beautiful, wonderful kid. But his son's connection is he comes home. He wants to relax. He wants to go play basketball. And it, it took this father, very hush of a man. A lot of insight to realizing that if you sometimes want to connect to somebody, you have to go to where they are, connect to them on their level. A few years later, the relationship between these two is incredibly, incredibly strong. And this 15-year-old boy that everyone's so nervous about, he's, he's, he's soaring. He's like on top of the world. 
because his father understood you can't always give your child what you want to give. You come in and you say to your kid, like, okay, let's do homework. You're not spending real quality time with your child. Homework is not bonding time. And, and turning to your spouse and telling them, like, so tell me about the crisis you had at work or tell me something that was going on in your day. And your spouse is like, oh, it was terrible. I don't want to rehash it with you. And then you make them rehash it and you go, I don't know why. We just don't feel this bond. You don't feel this bond because you're talking to the person about things that it's not it's not bonding. There's no, there's, you're not connecting to them on their level. You're not talking to them things that interest them or connect to them on, on, on conversations or pieces that you're really actually connecting to. And I think that's the second idea that you're giving your family, you're apportioning to your family what they need from you. Each person in your family needs different things. And you take the time to think through how, what conversations will connect me to my husband? What foods will connect me to my husband? what date night could I plan that my wife will be excited about? What things can I buy her or give her or say to her or, or cards or notes or anything that you're connecting? Make sure it's not that you're giving to them what you want to give, but rather what they would actually appreciate that you're receiving. That's the second idea. And the third idea is the idea that this Aisha Schayel, this wonderful woman, that we all say, wow, we're waiting for this Aisha Schayel. She has apportioned out food right? To her help, to the girls that are helping her. What does this mean? It means that even the superwoman or the superman, the person who has it all together and can accomplish anything, they really can't. They realize that I need help. I can't do it. I'm drowning. I have X amount of children, X amount of debt, X amount of things going on in my life, X amount of obligations. I'm simply not able to fulfill all of my obligations. I'm just not able to do it. And she turns to her husband and she says, I need help. Please, please, either you help me, a chesed girl, a seminary girl, pay somebody. I need help. Whether it's babysitting help or cleaning help, functional that your house is running. Not only are you there for your family, but you're, you're, you're making sure that you have the help that's needed for your family. But the Pusik says very interestingly that not only does she do that, but she goes a step further and she makes sure that the help is helped. She makes sure that the help has the food that they need. She's able to maintain the help and manage the help that the help wants to help. That her help doesn't work for her for a week and then, and then start screaming in Spanish like, you know, you know, this lady's crazy. I can't work for her anymore. That, that, that she's actually working and saying, I'm excited to come to work because you treat me like a mensch. She's able to manage the help in the house. So she's able to ask for help and then she's able to actually manage the help. I heard from a very, very reliable source, the following story. And the story goes as follows, is that there is a group of women who are nurses for for twins, right? People have twins, they hire nurses, and they go to people's houses, and they live in the house, and they take care of the twins. And sometimes it could be for a few days, sometimes a few weeks, sometimes a few months, and sometimes a few years. And there was this nurse, and this nurse got hired by a family. She came to the family, and she came in, and the place was like La Yehudim, it was flying all over the place. She came in, she started getting Seder, okay, babies, bath, this, everything. And then the family turned to the nurse and said to the nurse, okay, like, come, come, come. We need to just, just come outside for a minute. Like, let's just go for onto the porch. Happened to be in the middle of the winter. It was freezing cold. So they stepped outside and they're like, she's like, what's going on? They said, oh, well, the babies have a doctor appointment. We're just going to take the babies. And as they stepped outside, they locked the door and they said, Okay, just wait, wait here for a little bit. We'll be back in a few hours. Okay, just, just wait. Okay. And this nurse is sitting there, like, wait, what just happened? And she realized that the family was uncomfortable leaving her 
alone in the house. So they told her, you just stand outside in the freezing cold for a few hours. Okay. Now, you could imagine by the time the family came back, this nurse was long gone, okay, with whatever she had with her, and somebody, she sent somebody back to pick up the rest of her stuff. Now, the family then had harata, and they started calling the nurse, we'll pay you double, we'll give you extra time off. All of a sudden, their house is in chaos, right? This family, besides the massive chil Hashem that went to that story, this is a family that didn't understand the concept of taking care of your help. You, you should like, like literally like you just say brachas for them. You know what I'm saying? Daven for them. You give, you know, bench them on Friday night. Like these are the people that are making your world go round. Like you're literally, they're investing their lives in you. And if you can't, if you can't make sure that they have what they need, then it's just not going to last. That's a chasarin in you. It's not a chasarin in them. And as somebody who's constantly going through people and they're not able to manage those people properly, that is a chasarin in the Asia style. That's a chasarin in the person who's not able to run a proper home. It's a skill to be able to manage other people, to be able to delegate to other people, to be able to live with other people, to be able to, 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 you know, provide for them what they need. And there's an interesting, beautiful piece here, which I, I saw, which I think is worth speaking out, which is that this Asia style, it says that she gives taref levesa v'chaik l'narisaha. It's two different lashainas. One is that she gives portions to her family and she also gives portions to her help so why is there taref and chayk what's the difference between the two so one answer that's given is that when it comes to her family she gives them sort of like belief like she just gives them whatever they want like her kids say could i have this could I have that when it comes to the help she's very very subtly aware that sometimes you have different helpers in the house and this help feel, this help feels that you're spoiling the other one. Like you're giving more to the other one. So she gets jealous. So what she does over here, this lady is she gives chayk. That means she gives the exact amount to each one to make sure that even amongst the help, the help, they're getting along harmoniously. Because if the help is not getting along, then your whole house is going to start falling apart. So there's so much chachma within this woman who's running the house that she's making sure that even the help, is taken care of, but not just that she's taken care of, but that there's no jealousy and that they're calm and they're relaxed and they have everything that they could possibly need from you. They have. That's the level that it goes into actually maintaining and running a home. That is the, that is the third idea. And the last idea is that it says that it says the Medra says that who is this Pasuk going on? So we said in the beginning of the series that every Pasuk is after one personality in Tanakh. It says, Eishas Chayel is Sarah, and each one has a person. So who is this Pasuk going on? Somebody who is, she gets up in the middle of the night, she takes care of her home, and she gives out whatever is needed for, for her helpers. So Chazal say, the Medrash, it's actually the Medrash, the Medrash says, this refers to Basia. Basia, Parah's daughter. And it says that because she was Isaac with Maisha Rabbeinu, okay, so what did she do with Maisha Rabbeinu? She saved his life. Obviously, we all know that, right? But because of that, she was Zeicha that she went, not only did she go to Ganeiden, but the, the, the Lashon is that she went to Ganeiden Bechayim. Like she went in, like while she was alive. That's what Basi was Zeicha to. You have to keep in mind that she rescued not just the regular person, but she's Moshe Rabbeinu, who Chazal say that you literally, there was only one man that had the capability to go up to Shemayim, take down the Tyra. There was only one person in history, and that was Moshe Rabbeinu. So she happened to rescue Obviously, it was all Bashar, but she happened to rescue the perf- the perfect person. But, but Chazal say that it's not, that's not the reason why she was Zaycha to this. The reason she was Zaycha to going into Ganeiden in her life was because 
she allowed Maisha Rabbeinu to develop into the fullest Maisha Rabbeinu that he possibly could have been. Maisha Rabbeinu ultimately grew, grew up and he had the din of a melech, of a king. How does somebody learn to become a king? The answer is you have to grow up in the house of a king. Basia, the first action that she did was that she, she stretched out her hand and pulled Maisha Rabbeinu and brought him into the palace. Beautiful. But the Medjur is saying that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that she saved his life. It wasn't enough that she went out and found somebody to feed him. That wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that she gave him breakfast every day. It was that she was so emotionally involved in developing Maisha Rabbeinu into the future leader of Kla Yisrael. She was raising a prince. She made sure that Maisha Rabbeinu knew that he was aristocracy. He was like able to walk into a room and just command respect. That was from Basia. She was the one that raised him like that. Nobody else was able to raise him because the, the rest of the nation was a bunch of slaves. His own mother couldn't do for him what Basia did. And because she she prepared a king for Kal Yisrael, she raised the king, she was so emotionally attuned to what Maish Rabinu needed, that was the reason why she was zeichet to this. I heard a fasc- fascinating story. It's very interesting, by the way, I just have to tell you. I remember hearing years ago that women don't forget anything. You know, like they're very good. They they, they have, okay, and men a little bit more forget, you know, forget stuff. So years ago I started that when I hear like a good story or or even Gemara, like I'll learn a Gemara and then I'll turn to my wife, I'll say, look, let me tell you this Gemara. And then like years later, I'll, I'll, I'll say something to my wife and my wife will say, oh yeah, it's like that Gemara you told me. And I'm like, what Gemara? And she'll remind me of the whole Gemara. So this story is one of those stories that I told my wife, I have no idea what the source of the story is, but when I was telling my wife about this year, my wife said, oh yeah, it's like that story. And I said, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, you told me the story. So I apologize if I'm not quoting the source over here, but I thought this was a very, very pow- powerful story. So the story goes basically was that there were two brothers in yeshiva um, and these two brothers were just amazing. Like every Rebbe, you know, who had these boys in their in their class were just blown away by how dedicated and on their own these boys were learning. They had a geshmak and a chesed and their midas. Like they, these kids were just two rock stars. And he's one day, the one of the Rebbeim decided that he wants to find out more about these boys. Like where do these boys come from? So he called the mother and he said, I'd like to sit down with you and talk to you. And he said, what's, what's like your secret? How are you such an incredible, like, how are you such an incredible mother to be raising two boys that are just like, the whole yeshiva talks about how amazing your boys are. So the woman said that she is a giyaris. She grew up, wasn't Jewish. She became a giyaris. Her family became gerim. And therefore her children became gerim. But when they're 13, they have a choice whether or not they want to continue or not. And she said, that knowledge that my boys will be able to choose whether they like this lifestyle or not means that every single day I get up and I say, how do I make Tyra Yiddishkeit? How do I make it the most geschmacka thing in the world? That my kids, when it comes time to make that choice of whether they want to live like Yiddin, it's just going to be a no-brainer. Of course, they're going to want that. That philosophy is something which for each one of us, that our homes are places that our spouses want to come into, that they want to spend time with us, that our, our, our children, our husbands, our wives are getting from us, not just the food. You know, you start in the beginning over here, we think about, um, you think about dysfunction, you think about like a house where like it's, it's La Yehudim, like it's just craziness and, and everyone's swinging around and breaking the walls and then the picture frames are falling off the walls. That house is beyond dysfunction. That house is a house that's just not functioning at all. But the idea of an apathetic home, 
a home where the husband and the wife are doing their own thing, they're not, they're not in tune to each other. They're not giving each other. Forget the food, but the, 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 the vision, the drive, the life. Like, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we accomplishing? Are our children striving or are our children just like, barely bobbing their heads above the water like are are you liking your job do you do you do you work well with the people around you do you have chavrusa sadaram i'm not saying changing your your spouse i'm saying making sure that you are doing everything in your power to give your spouse what they actually need from you and what they need from life are they pulling out of life what they can or they're just barely getting along means that a person is so conscious of their mission that they push themselves. They stay up late, they get up early. They put in the extra effort to make sure their family has what they need. And it's specifically to each and every child, each and every, your, your husband, no matter what he's going through, you make sure that he has what he needs. And you need help and you get the help and you make sure that your help has what they need in order to help you along your journey. And a person who does that is a person who's running their home. Their home is not running them. They don't, they don't look at their house and go, oh gosh, this place, I'd rather be anywhere than here. When a person says, I'd rather be at the office or I'd rather be out with my friends rather than being in their own home, your own home, your own sanctuary is not a place that you want to go to. That's not a good sign. The person who's who's on top of their game is somebody who knows what their house needs. They give their house what they need. And because of that, everybody's excited to come home. They grew up in a Geshmaka house that they had to choose which family would you want to live in. Of course, my family, it's a Geshmaka family. It's a Geshmaka home. We have what we need. There's, there's a success within the four walls of, the, of, of your own home. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.